0: Welcome to the fifth season of the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combined with big ideas to make life better for all of us. I'm your host, Sean Nason, CEO and founder of Mofi. In these episodes, we'll be exploring the power, influence, and importance of experience ecosystems. To do that, we're bringing together the most unique and influential experience experts in the world for honest conversations about not being okay with the status quo, leading with heart, and getting real about heart sets and mindsets. In case you're wondering, an experience ecosystem is the web of people, touchpoints, and interactions that combine to create all of the positive and negative experiences we have in the world. When an organization wants to improve customer experience, they're wasting their time if they're not willing to engage and humanize their entire experience ecosystem. It's time to blow up some silos and ignite an experience revolution by putting people first. On this episode, Dan Gingas, who is an international keynote speaker and customer experience coach, believes that a remarkable customer experience is your best marketing strategy. His 20-year professional career spanned multiple disciplines, including customer experience, marketing, social media, and customer service. He has held leadership positions at McDonald's, Discover, and Humana. Dan is the host of the Experience This show and podcast, And his new book, The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences that Customers Can't Wait to Share, hits shelves September 14th. Dan, thank you for joining us on the Combustion Chronicles. Sean, thanks for having me. Very excited to talk with you today. Yeah, Dan, I know we have some commonality in our time at Humana, so it's great to have you on here with us and really dive into this conversation around experience and how it is and You know, Dan, you are the experience maker. So what makes you so passionate about creating experiences?
1: Well, I started my career the first uh, 17 years or so of it as a marketer. And I was in almost every marketing channel from direct mail through email and social media and everything in between other than television. And at some point, I realized that customer experience was so much more powerful than any individual marketing campaign. Because when we can get our customers talking about us positively, that's word of mouth marketing. That's what marketers have been chasing after for so long. And and in my mind, it's not about creating the next viral video. If we all knew how to do that, we would certainly do it. But it's about creating consistently exceptional experiences that because consumers don't get that very often, they're actually really willing to share. it, And that got me really excited. I think the other piece was when I first got into social media, the first thing that occurred to me was, this is the first marketing channel where people can talk back to you. And I thought that was fascinating. No other marketing channel before did we really have the ability to have a conversation with people. and. Certainly when customers got a voice in social media, they used it and rather than be intimidated by that, I really tried to embrace that and say, hey, let's get closer to our customers. Let's understand what we're doing well, what we need to do better, and let's create a relationship with them. And and to me, that's really what CX is about today. It's about the relationship with the company, relationship with the customer, and how that engagement works because we all just wanna do business with companies that we like and trust and that treat us well.
0: I love that, Dan. You know, at MoFi, our little group, we talk about experiences an ecosystem. That's what I'm hearing even through you, what you're talking about is it's broader than just this thing called customer or consumer experience or whoever, you know, those of us that have worked in healthcare, patient experience or whatever it might be, but that it's a broader spectrum. What's really exciting, Dan, is that you have an up and coming book that's coming out called The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experience." experiences that your customers can't wait to share. So, what makes an experience truly remarkable, Dan?
1: Well, remember that the word remarkable means worthy of remark, worthy of discussion. And so, that's where I really try to focus on all the examples that I share in the book is that these are experiences that people want to talk about. They want to tell people, hey, can you believe that this company did this? Or, or you know, I'm so impressed that this company remembered my birthday or my dog's name or whatever it is. And so it's about creating these experiences that stand out. And I explain in the book a methodology that I developed called WISER because I want you to be wiser than the competition. And WISER stands for witty, immersive, shareable, extraordinary, and responsive. And these are the five things that I think companies must do to create remarkable experiences. But the great thing is you don't have to do all five of them. Even doing one is usually going to make your experience better than average. And what I talk a lot about in the book is that this willingness to share. We know that people share bad experiences. The research shows that Consumers are more willing to share positive experiences than negative ones. It's just they don't have very many positive ones to share. But the ones that aren't shared the ones that aren't remarkable are what our millennial friends might call meh. Let me tell you about the perfectly average restaurant I went to last night. Said nobody (laughs) ever, right? So (laughs) unfortunately, though, that's the vast majority of the experiences that we have. They're they're average. They're meth. They maybe meet my expectations or barely meet them. And we have to do better as companies in order to get part, in order to become part of that positive conversation.
0: So let's go down even a little bit farther than that, because how does that framework then help brands create truly great experiences? Like, can you give us an example or something you've done using that methodology so our listeners can make it applicable? The first part of the book walks through each of those five letters and gives you literally
1: a dozen or more examples for each that are real-life examples and case studies. I'm a believer that you shouldn't trust me just because I'm the one on stage or I'm the one that wrote the book. Yeah, I have some great experience, but a lot of what I try to teach comes from real-life examples of other companies that I hope are inspiring to readers or, or viewers of a keynote or whatever it is to go back to work and say, well, why don't we do this? And we could do something like this as well. Then the second half of the book is really about the implementation so okay you've got these five steps and these five pieces but now how do we go about and actually do it so taking witty as an example When I talk about being witty, it's not about being funny or being a stand-up comedian. We know that certain brands, I'm thinking Wendy's, Taco Bell, maybe Charmin, get away with being funny, and that's the humorous part of their brand. But most of us don't work for brands like that, and we probably wouldn't pull it off as well as they do. So being witty means being clever and thoughtful about the language that we use. And it starts with something like signage. Now, if you have a physical presence, maybe you're a retailer or a restaurant, you've got people walking in and out your door all day long. And the things that are, the stickers that are on the door, the signs that they see when they walk in, the signs in the bathroom, these are all places where you're communicating and you have an opportunity to create an experience where one doesn't exist. One of the first examples that I give that I absolutely love is a sign that's on the side of a building in downtown Manhattan. And the sign says, we are probably the lowest priced in the city. That's all the sign says. Now, I love that because I already know, I, I don't know what this company does, but I already know that they've got a sense of humor and that they're honest. And it's probably a company I want to do business with. Turns out it's a shoot door, but it could have been pretty much anything. So I walked through all these examples of where you can be witty. We are probably not doing it today. Even things like legalese and legal disclaimers, there's an opportunity to have some fun with them when you have to, you know, nobody wants to read legal disclaimers and frankly, nobody really wants to have to put them in our documents or in our marketing, but we do because we have to, but there's no law unintended that said they have to be boring. And so I walk through all of the ways in your company that you can just have some personality and be witty. And that, if, if that's all you do, you're going to stand out from the competition.
0: Yeah. I can only imagine some of your conversations in the healthcare space I know I had too. Using wit was probably not one of the easy things to get there. <laughs> no, there's
1: not, they don't have nearly the sense of humor that I wish they would, but, uh, but, but yes, yeah, it a, that's a, it's a challenging, it's very challenging. But you think about healthcare in itself though, and maybe let's walk away from insurance for a second. And you think about providers, hospital systems, those folks that are in charge of, as you say, patient experience. There are so many simple ways. You you see a lot of uh, hospitals now, they have a whiteboard in every room and they put all the names of the doctors and the nurses. And usually somebody puts a smiley face or draws a little cartoon or something. That is experience right there. And that is, you know, it's these easy things. We just told an amazing story on our podcast that came from a, a listener. Who was at a children's hospital and his son had just had surgery and, you know, he's stressed out and the kids in recovery and he goes into the bathroom and on the mirror in the bathroom is a sign that says, hang in there, dad. And he said he was just blown away by that because it was wow. like, that's exactly what he needed at that moment. They, it's like they were inside his brain. And he was so touched by it. It wasn't even delivered by a human. It was just a, a sign on a mirror. But the really interesting thing is he told us that he's been in that bathroom five or six times and every time the sign has that impact on it. You know, So these are things that aren't very difficult. It's not expensive to put a sign up on a mirror. It just takes that thoughtfulness of, of kind of knowing when your customer needs to be communicated with and the words that they need to hear at that moment.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Just really awesome. So what's the most common mistake brands are making when it comes to creating a great customer experience or consumer experience in your mind?
1: I'm going to give you two uh, because I think they're related. The first is not being a customer of your own company. I think it is absolutely critical that executives all the way up To and including the CEO and president, need to be customers of their own company. And not VIP customers, not ones that get special treatment when they call the toll-free customer service number. I (laughs) mean regular old customers. Uh, Because if you don't experience it yourself, it is so much harder to identify those places that are annoying and frustrating. Let's face it, we're all consumers. So we all know what frustrates us, and yet, as executives and companies, we're often doing the same exact thing to our customers. I, that's what I don't understand. If we <laughs> if we just use our own experience as consumers, we can create better experiences. And the second piece of that, which I think is related, uh, the mistake would be is not listening to your customers. And by listening, I mean, you know I love voice of the customer programs. I love surveys, I love NPS scores. But I mean, actually hearing the voice of your customer, talking to them either one-on-one or listening to phone calls and hearing their voice. Because when you hear the voice, you hear their emotion, you hear their frustration, you hear their anger, their disappointment. And it gets you. It like To me, it tugs at the heartstrings because no one's intentionally causing pain to their customers. But when it happens, and it's our fault, you want to fix it. And I think there's nothing better than hearing that from your customer. And so many companies, you know, even when they do have VOC programs, it really amounts to they're just reading a report and they're looking yeah. at numbers. That doesn't tell you nearly half the story as actually sitting down with a customer. If you don't have a full program, pick up the phone and just call a couple of clients or a couple of customers and just say, hey, I want to know how we're doing. What do you like? What do you not like? How do you like working with us? and It's amazing when you ask customers those simple questions,
0: how much you will get back, and it's all useful. I love that you're acknowledging that many companies use VOC programs as more of a check-in-the-box thing than really listening. So that's awesome. So Dan, I've heard you mention that a major challenge of this digital age of experience is the creation of silos within organizations. And I'm really passionate about breaking down silos and blowing the shit out of them. So how can organizations integrate these silos into the ecosystem to create seamless experiences?
1: Well, as my podcast partner who lives on a farm likes to say, silos are great for farms, but they are terrible for companies. And I think the first step is honestly acknowledging that your company is siloed. I, I don't think a lot of companies feel that way, right? They feel like, oh, well, this is my job. And that person over there does that job. And that person over there is in charge of that. And they're not realizing that that is a silo. And the, the thing is, and going back to the mistake of not being a customer of your own company, is the customers see the silos, like they experience them a customer under like they know when they've been handed off from one department to another because the experience shifts and it's usually not a smooth transition. Sometimes there's been times especially digitally where it doesn't even look like you're at the same company anymore. You know, you get sent to a different page that was designed by a different design agency and it's like where did where did they just send me? And so customers are aware are more aware of silos than companies I think give them credit for. But the truth is that we as customers do not care how your company's organized. We don't care about your yep. org chart, right? It does not matter to me one bit. I just look at you as, a, as one company, right? And so some of it is that acknowledgement that we have to appear as one company to our customer, even if we're siloed internally. Then I think it comes down to... Identifying whose job is customer experience. And that's of course the age-old question. Is it the customer experience team's job or is it everybody's job? And from my experience in corporate America, you have to be careful with making it everybody's job. Because often when you make something everybody's job, it becomes no one's job yeah. because there's no accountability and nobody's, you know, judged on it or, or bonused on it or what have you. In fact, I figured out over time that when you create goals for employees, any goal that wasn't at least 20% of someone's, you know, final review was usually just ignored because they would focus on the stuff that was more important. So, I think that's something to keep in mind. And yes, customer experience is everybody's job in the sense that we need to train every department, every team to be thinking like a customer, to be thinking about what they are doing to the customer, the experience they're putting in front of the customer, and more importantly, to be thinking about how we can make that better. So you might work in finance team that never actually talks to customers, but you're in charge of sending them invoices. And that invoice is a communication channel that is an opportunity to be witty or to create an experience where one doesn't exist. You might be on a collections team. And one of the things I learned when I worked in collections in a, a major bank was that uh, customers who are in collections usually are asked due on multiple credit cards or multiple statements. And they're gonna pay back one of those a month, not all of them. And so how do you become that one? You give them an experience. You create yeah. an experience that makes them want to pay you back. And so I think that is really core. And then a, a centralized CX team is still required because you need somebody that has that 30,000 foot view that can see the whole journey from above. Because if I'm in the finance department, I'm really focused on sending out those invoices, but I'm not really focused on the acquisition channel or anything or the retention side or anything like that. I'm focused on my job. And so you need that team that oversees everything. I think when you have both of those together, that's when the silos start to come down because everyone understands that CX is their job. And then the CX team is has the authority to kind of oversee the entire journey, and that's when you start to crumble down those silos.
0: You probably don't know before my Humana days, you know, I worked for Disney as a finance person. <laughs> ah, okay, so, I did not so know that. You spoke to my heart and my love language, brother. I love what you said there. That you can't say that CX is everybody's job because then it becomes nobody's job. And I hope the listeners caught that. That if you aren't measuring on the twenty percent or above, it just gets forgot about. That's where we, MoFi, and my passion around this experience ecosystem and in creating an experience promise says if you're going to have an experience promise, you have that foundation, then it has to be measured in that way on reviews and everything and make it a priority. So you've also said that customer service occurs in some ways because part of the customer experience went wrong, but it's also a brand's biggest opportunity to create a loyal fan. You've got to elaborate on that philosophy for our listeners.
1: Sure. Well, if you think of... Customer service, certainly pre-social media. The only reason anyone ever called customer service was because they had a problem. When I speak to customer service teams, I always make the joke, like, when's the last time you picked up the phone and somebody on the other line said, hi, I'm just calling to tell you how great of a job you're doing, right? And everybody laughs because that's never (laughs) happened. Okay, now it started to happen with social media. We get lots of brand fans that really do love on brands. And that's not the question that you asked me, but I do think that compliments in social media are a great opportunity for brands to engage that they often miss as well. But the question you asked was about customer service. And yeah, customer service is usually happening because somewhere the customer experience broke. Either it didn't meet the customer's expectations or it actually malfunctioned or in some way the customer was a victim of a poor policy decision, whatever it is. But what's interesting is that the research shows that customers that have had a problem that is then resolved are actually more loyal than customers that never have a problem in the first place, which is amazing. Because when we have an issue with a company, that's the moment the company has to shine. And I always like to say, you shouldn't be afraid of complaints because people who complain, complain because they care. They actually want you to solve their problem so they can continue doing business with you. The ones you should be afraid of are the people that just leave your company and never tell you why. They're angry, but they never bother to complain. They just leave and go to the competition. So when people do complain, that is an opportunity for a company to show that they're empathetic, to show that they're understanding, to be willing to admit mistakes, and to fix the problem. Not just for that one customer, but also And this is another part where silos need to break down to go back to the root cause in the organization and make sure that that's fixed, which is not going to be by a customer service team. It's going to be by a programming team or a research and development team or a product team, whatever it is. And that's why I do think that if companies stop looking at customer service as just a cost center and start looking at it as an opportunity to talk with our customers. You know, the people that pay our paychecks, that keep the lights on, the people without whom we don't even have a company. We should be embracing the opportunity to talk to our customers and not only trying to do everything we can to solve their issues and get them going on their way, but also to learn from them so that we can proactively solve the issues for other customers.
0: Yeah, and what people don't realize, I think, in that space too, Dan, and is that many times that can be the face of your company too, right? So I think back to my Disney days, you know, many people call into that reservation center. That's the first interaction they have. But yet so many times in so many companies, let's be real, you know, in corporate America, those are the some of the lowest paying jobs in those companies. When yet those are the face, those are your brand ambassadors, as I would say.
1: Absolutely. And sometimes they're the only humans that your customer ever engages with at your company. So Disney, obviously, you know, when you're at the park or something like that, there's lots of employees that they might be engaging with. But for many companies, the only time that you end up talking to anyone is through customer service. And so they are truly the face of the brand. And, and not only does that mean that we've got to pay them well and train them well, but it means that we've got to empower them. Make it so that they can solve problems without having to call a superior or, or you know, be buried by some policy. And we've got to make sure that they understand their job is to create a great experience so that the customer again can be on their way, continuing to do business with us. And so I, it's a really good point because we often, I mean, think about a company that is known for amazing customer experience, Amazon. But then think about how many employees of Amazon you've ever spoken to or engaged with in any way. (laughs) It's not many, maybe none. And yet, if you do call Amazon's customer service, which I've done, they are wonderful. And they solve your problem faster than any contact center I've ever all been
0: to. You know, Dan, obviously 2020 was a really difficult year for a lot of brands and a lot of companies. Really?
1: What, what happened in 2020?
0: Uh, I, You know, this little thing called COVID. I don't know, man. But what we saw the, is through the events of 2020, we saw brand purpose moved to the forefront. With, you know, consumers expecting brands to speak out on social issues. Do you think this trend is going to continue? Yes, although I wouldn't
1: necessarily attribute it to COVID. I actually think I would attribute it more to the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the other social issues that were going on in the United States and abroad. I, what I would attribute to COVID would be the fact that customer experience and employee experience really came to the forefront and, and it really shined a bright light on both. And customers realized which companies were there for them when they really needed them, and employees realized how well their companies really treated them. But in terms of the social issues, I think that was already brewing with millennials and Gen and Gen Z. I think that is just something that they frankly care about more than past generations did. But I think what's really interesting is they're bringing the other generations along. And so I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, and I find myself paying much more attention to where companies stand on social issues. And it's tough because almost by definition, certainly in a place like the US that is so divided, you take a side on any social issue and you're instantly alienating all the people on the other side. And you know that's obviously not the intent, but at the same time, I think that there is, there's opportunity for companies, especially the ones with loud voices on social media and on television and other places, to not only take a stand, but to actually effectuate change. And I think one of the best examples there is a lot of the sustainability projects that are going on and efforts that are going on that have actual impacts and, and are, are making important changes. Uh, and again, to refer back to Amazon, you know, they created an entire consortium of like-minded companies, including many of their competitors. I think it's 150 companies. That signed on to be part of this kind of of this climate pledge and sustainability program, and I think it's fantastic. And it's as a person who cares about that issue personally, I appreciate that that companies are focused on it. But yeah, I think this is a trend that's here to stay, and brands are going to have to tiptoe in some places because, you know, for example. I don't think that brands need to be involved in politics. I don't think that's a smart place for them to be, especially in a divided country like the US. There's no there's no point in alienating half of your potential customer base by declaring yourself as one or the other. But I do think there are places where companies can can embrace certain social issues, make it part of their brand promise and And
0: I think that really does attract, uh, especially a new generation of customers. What's come to the forefront is what companies and employers were there when we really needed them in 2020, right? How can a brand really communicate then its true heart and authenticity to consumers and not get involved in that mess?
1: Well, staying out of politics, it's like, I, I mean, it's kind of like you know, what is it? Politics and religion are sort of the two topics that you want to, that are sort of the third rails, right? <laughs> and and so I don't think it's that hard to stay out of pure politics. Now, the problem is that a lot of these social issues have become political. And so by associating yourself with a particular social issue, you may inadvertently be associating yourself with the Republicans or the Democrats. But I think, again, I, I think there's ways to do that more subtly that don't, you know, like you're endorsing a particular candidate, for example, which is which would be not subtle. And so it's a challenge, it's not easy. And in terms of the heart, it, look, I always like to say that competing on price is a loser's game, just ask the gas station that's got its competitor across the street. And competing on product is becoming harder and harder because almost everything's copyable. So what's left is customer experience, but the great news about customer experience is that it is delivered by humans. And by definition, the humans that you employ are unique because no one else employs the same humans. And so that to me is how you get to the heart is you really leverage the human element of your brand and you try to create human uh, connections with your customers. If we go back to my answer on why I kind of fell in love with social media, being the first channel that people can talk back, it's because you can engage with them and learn about them and learn what they care about. And then when you find those synergies, it becomes a lot easier in those social issues or whatever it is to do that because you already know that your customers are there with you and, and are on your side on that. So I think the heart of it comes from realizing that so much of customer experience is the human element. And that got exacerbated during COVID because what were we missing for so long? Human experiences, right? Human connection with people we were stuck with the same people in our house for however long all we wanted was human connection right and so the companies that offered that did really well and really created fans for life i think the other thing that to me that stuck out during covid was companies either got it or didn't get it very quickly and i go back to the very beginning if you remember much like when the privacy policies changed in europe and we got a thousand emails from like every company that ever had our email telling us that they had a new privacy policy. So was the case in March of 2020 when when (laughs) our email inbox is filled up with every single company telling us what they were doing to respond to COVID. And almost all of them were the same templated email. We're enhancing our cleaning procedures. If you have any questions, visit the CDC website or your local, you know, Center for Disease Control. And it, it's like every company, all these companies felt like they just had to check a box. And so they copied the email from someone else and they pasted it and they sent it out. Then I got an email from Charles Schwab, who is where I have my, uh, it's my brokerage firm, it's where I have my investments and in bank accounts and all that. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't really care about Charles Schwab's cleaning procedures, which is good, because they didn't tell me about the cleaning procedures. <laughs> Instead, what they did was they said, hey, we, must, we know that you must be really nervous a volatile stock market and we have all of these tools to help you through this difficult time. It was a list with links to the various tools that they had. Charles Schwab knew exactly what I needed at that moment and it wasn't a description of their cleaning strategy, it was how the heck do I make it through a volatile stock market and that's knowing your customer and that's understanding the role that you can play even in a crisis to help your customers versus just checking a box because everyone else is sending the same email so you feel like you should too.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dan, we could go on and on. And I wanna thank you for all these nuggets. Part of what we do on the Combustion Chronicles, Dan, is we close it with three questions called the Combustion Questions. And the three randomly selected questions that you can have some fun with and that we have fun with. And I can verify for your audience that you have not told me what these
1: questions are, so I have no (laughs) idea what's about to come here.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. So here is your first Combustion Question, Dan. If you could feed and pet any wild animal anywhere in the world, what animal would that be and what would you feed it? Wow. That is... I have i have—I've been asked a lot of questions, Sean. I've
1: never been asked that question. That's amazing. I'm going to go with a koala bear. The reason being because... I have been fortunate enough to travel to about three dozen different countries, but I have never been to Australia and I have wanted to go since I was a teenager. So any Australians listening, hey, if you can find a conference for me to speak at out there, I'd really like to <laughs> get out there and feed a koala bear. And I'm not entirely sure what koala bears eat. I, I think, they, uh, think they're think they vegetarians. Yeah.
0: But I, so the only reason I can tell you this is eucalyptus. Yes, eucalyptus. And it's because I did get to spend two weeks in Australia, and any time Dan, you need to go there, you need to take someone with you, and I will be glad to go with you. It was, <laughs> it was a truly an amazing experience.
1: So well, I will. Then I'm going to choose eucalyptus because I know my customer, <laughs> and my
0: customer likes to eat eucalyptus. That's what I'm going to give. Awesome. Okay. Combustion question number two. What's your favorite way to waste time? That's also a fantastic question. Wow, so many time
1: wasters out there. I'm going to actually maybe surprise you and tell you social media, because I do think most of it's a waste of time. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I try to obviously uh, pull out the nuggets and provide value where I can. But man, it does get... You find yourself scrolling in any of the great uh, social media platforms and you look up and it's like, oh boy, I've been sitting here a long time. So that's going to be my answer. I'm sticking to it.
0: Yes, my wife loses her time management skills when it comes to TikTok. Yeah, um, yeah. (laughs) I refuse to get on it because I think I would just lose days. All right, so you thought those two were fun and difficult ones. Here is the third one, Dan. What do you think about Bubbles?
1: That is an outstanding question. I will tell you that after absolutely despising them in my water for most of my life, I bought a soda stream and I quit Diet Coke. Uh, no offense to Diet Coke. I love you, Diet Coke, but I, I kind of was afraid it was going to kill me. And so I went cold <laughs> turkey on the Diet Coke and went to uh, sparkling water that I make myself and squeeze a lemon or lime in. And now I have trouble drinking regular water because I love the bubbles so much. It gives me that that burn that I missed so much from the Diet Coke. So that's what I think about bubbles. I love them and drink them every day. As I
0: take a sip of my Diet Coke here. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Well, Dan, I want to make sure that our listeners know how to get a hold of you, where to follow you. So can you share with them your website and all that so uh, we can get them connected to you? Sure thing. Well, luckily, I have a unique last name. It's Gingus, G-I-N-G-I-S-S.
1: So if you search my name, you're going to find me. You'll find my website at dangingis.com. You'll find me on Twitter and LinkedIn especially. And then I also wanna offer something up to your audience that I think uh, they'll enjoy. I just launched something called the 10 Day CX Challenge. It's completely free. And every day I give you a video that's about a minute long, so it's not gonna take a lot of your time. And it basically gives you a tactic that you can employ at your company that day. And so grab the team, it's a great team building opportunity, and go to 10daycxchallenge.com the number 10 day cxchallenge.com and spend the next 10 days starting to implement some of the things we talked about on this show. And you're going to find in 10 days that you've made a ton of progress just by making little tiny changes. Breaking down those silos is definitely one of them, but hopefully you'll have fun. And then as always, I love feedback. I got to practice what I preach. So when you take the challenge, let me know what you think of it. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll adjust the future version based on the feedback.
0: Again, Dan, thanks. It's been great having you on here and um, can't wait till we can see each other in person and, and talk more great stuff about experience. Thank you, Sean. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. Let's keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. To learn more about the world of experience ecosystems, go to mofi.co, where you'll discover ideas and resources to help you ignite your own experience revolution. Be sure to check out my book, Kiss Your Dragons, Radical Relationships, Bold Heart Sets, and Changing the World, available now at Amazon. Then head over to SeanNason.com to engage resources, a discussion guide and information about everything from self-paced training to personal coaching. You can find this episode recap at Seanason.com. We know you lead a busy life. So if you're driving, exercising, or maybe just blowing your own shit up, don't worry. We've already taken the notes for you. Each recap is filled with exclusive guest information, episode themes, quotes, resources, and more. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review. As always, stay safe and be well.